0: Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And uh, today we're... We are knee-deep in Oscar bait season. And I say that with love, not with sarcasm, as my tone might falsely imply. I say it with fact. (laughs) Yeah, that's better. Yeah, with fact. Um, This is kind of the season where everything... Well, by the time we're recording this, the, the Oscar nominees have already been released. But starting in November up until like mid-January, a bunch of films get released that their whole their whole shtick is like, we're trying to win Academy Awards. And mm-hmm. uh, this film we're reviewing today is no exception to that rule. Uh, it is director Hirozaku Korida's broker. For those that don't know, Hirokazu Korida is very well known for a 2018 Japanese film called Shoplifters, which, see, I'm sure you have watched and have raved like it was like one a madman for. It,
1: yes. Uh, shoplifters was in my top 10 for the year. It blew me away. It is a gorgeous looking film with a really wonderful story. But what makes it well, I'll get into later, but what makes shoplifters so good, there's a lot of uh, a lot, a lot of what makes shoplifters good, brokers good as well. But this is a podcast about brokers. But point is, yes, shoplifters was one of my favorite movies of the year.
0: It's funny because 2018 was pretty much the year where I was like, oh, my God, Asian cinema is back. And then the following year, Parasite basic, basically like ran roughshod over the Oscars and won almost every award it was nominated for. Mm. <laughs> Remember, 2018 was the year of shoplifters and burning. And we, <laughs> <Yeah>. we both, <sighs> and we both agree that those films were somewhat better than Parasite, even though Parasite
1: was the more slicker looking movie of the three. Parasite was the more digestible, for, was the most digestible for Western audiences, which I get. It's listen, I'm not saying Parasite was a bad movie; it was great, but yes, Burning and uh, Shoplifters. Which you know what's funny? For just a second, let me say the one, the movie I think of the most out of those three, even though it wasn't in my top ten of the year, is Burning. I have to say it, but this isn't about that movie. But guys, just. If you want Parasite, but way more subtle, but way more slow burn, and it, at, at the end of the day, actually, I think a better ending, watch Burning. Uh,
0: yeah. And uh, again, Burning, so Burning, like Broker, is set in, in Korea. And Broker, weirdly enough, from other. So it's been like a renaissance of Asian cinema and Korean cinema in particular. And what makes Broker such a bit of an odd duck is that the director Hirokazu Koreeda is not Korean; he's Japanese. Shoplifters is a movie based, uh, set in Japan, with Japanese actors, directed and written and directed by a Japanese filmmaker. And uh, for reasons, I mean, I, I tried to do some research. I couldn't seem to find any reason why uh, Koreeda wanted Broker to take place in Korea, wanted to shoot it with a Korean crew and Korean actors. Um, as far as I can tell, he just wanted to make this he just wanted to be in Korea when he made this. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey that that's perfectly fine. It's just you don't see that often. you don't see Korean films like get like heavy um, heavy marketing when it's by a sense ostensibly a foreign filmmaker. Um, but something else that Broker has in common with uh, the other big Asian, uh, Oscar bait releases of the past couple years is that this one stars the Tom Hanks of South Korea, which C actually came up with that at least in our oh, friend group, uh, Song you. Kang Ho, who I absolutely love. Um, he what was, was the first.
1: What was the first movie you saw him in?
0: Uh, the good the bad and the weird directed by uh the guy who did a tale of two sisters I cannot
1: believe I'm blinking on his name blah, blah, and blah. another and another movie you showed me but
0: anyways. oh yeah
1: yeah uh the good the bad and the weird directed by uh oh Jiwoon Kim my first was the host by the same director of Bong Joon-ho Bong,
0: Bong Joon-ho yeah Jiwoon Kim he's kind of my favorite of the three big Korean directors because he's the
1: biggest I'd say
0: he he's the He's the ironically enough, he's like the one that gets like the bigger budgeted projects because he can both do avant-garde like Bong joon Ho and uh, Park Cheng wook uh, and he's also he, he I hesitate to use the word journeyman, but he pretty much he he pretty much can go into journeyman mode, which is why like before parasite, ironically enough, Every time uh, uh, Ji Woon Kim made a film that was that got any Oscar potential, Korea would really push it for their foreign, for the foreign international feature Oscar because they're like, oh, he can do that. But then when he goes into his weird spaces, we get awesome things like The Good, the Bad, and the Weird, Tale of Two Sisters, A Bittersweet Life, which to me was, I, I think, A Bittersweet Life is my favorite of his films. Um, and I think we've talked about this, you know, uh, now that Bong Joon-ho has won the Oscar, he's kind of now like, you, you know, it's funny. It, it went from like uh, Ji-Woon Kim was kind of everyone's starter Korean director because he, he would be able to make some stuff that was more palatable for Western audiences. And then when Old Boy came out, Park Chang-wook became like the, the big Korean director that people talked about. In fact, they both had their English language releases around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Bong Joon-ho with Parasite has now become like the big name in, in Korean cinema. You know,
1: you know, what's funny though, is I always, I owe, it's so weird. I discovered them in reverse, literally that order you just described, uh-huh. I discovered them in reverse. It's, it's just weird to think about just now, but you're right. You're absolutely right. That that's usually the, that's the trajectory that Western audiences took them in. And with each one, the audience appreciation got bigger and bigger.
0: Yes. Uh, you know, uh, Park Chang-wook with old Boy. his thing was and that. And for
1: a while it wasn't Park Chang-wook, it was just Old Boy for a very long yeah. time. Let's be
0: fair. Yeah. The only one who's still kind of not known to audiences is the director of Burning, Lee Chang-dong, because he very much stays in a very like avant-garde kind of indie space. But he it- will
1: break out because he's that good. Yeah, he's that good. Again. But, but the it, other thing is he takes like 5 or 7 years to make a single yeah, movie.
0: Cause, uh, see, he he made, <laughs> yeah,
1: cuz let's see. He made it. Yeah,
0: cuz let's see. He may He actually
1: is often compared somewhat to the as the to the Terence Malik of Korea it, exactly. just with the amount of time he takes.
0: Yeah, um if I'm if I'm not mistaken he spent four
1: feature films. He's made oh. it took
0: him eight years to make Burning, right? Mm-hmm. Something like yeah.
1: that. Yeah. Before that, he did a beautiful film called Secret Sunshine, which is a devastating film that is also an incredible. Did you work. Did you
0: see Poetry? Because I recently watched that. It was oh, on. you know what?
1: You're sorry. You're right. He did poetry. So he did, in between those two, he did poetry. I'm wrong, yeah. but I have not. How was it? Um,
0: it's like it has that subtlety that I just absolutely adored from. Burning, but it's like it's not as horror tinged as Burning no, is. <laughs>
1: no. uh, he's the king of subtlety, but wait till you see Se- Secret Sunshine. That that movie's devastating. But anyways, anyways. So so yeah. the funny thing is,
0: is that with the exception of with the exception of of Lee Chang Dong, uh, all the other big name Korean directors have worked with Song Kang Ho. Uh, again, he was in The Good, The Bad, The Weird for Kim Ji-Woon. He was in Thirst for Park Chang-wook. And he was obviously in The Host, Snowpiercer, uh, and uh, Parasite for uh, Bong Joon-ho. Oh, and obviously Memories of a Murder, my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie. Yes. Uh, so, so basically what we're saying is that if, if there's any place to make internationally recognized cinema in Asia... It ain't China, it ain't Japan,
1: it's Korea. Let's be real here, it's Korea. It's Korea, Korea's the big dog, and then the second place is Japan. Significantly lower second place, but it is, because Japan had the horror thing going for a while. Oh, yeah, and China. China's thing is that they're kind of, they've kind of
0: just looked like, we want to make big, dumb blockbusters, yeah. and we're not really focusing on our, on our more artistically tinged,
1: efforts like they're they're just not um, well it's you know what you can actually it's often a, a Chinese not Hong Kong let's be clear because Hong Kong cinema is its own thing not but, anymore <laughs> well I can dream <laughs> I can dream uh, first off I, I figured you'd be more broken about that than up about oh 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 I am I make
0: no make no mistake yeah. uh Politics aside, the assimilation of Hong Kong cinema to just the mainland Chinese uh, cinematic machine
1: is an artistic tragedy. It is an artistic tragedy.
0: It is an artistic travesty. That being said, I mean, uh, you still got your you still got your bright spots. It's just, you know, like, for instance, um, Zhang Ji Mo, he's still chugging along. Um, well, what, what was his last film? The 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 not black and white film, but it might as well have been. Um, oh God, what was it what called? What we're
1: learning? F- oh, you mean uh, Shadow?
0: Shadow, yeah. yeah, Shadow. He did. What make- we've learned, Shadow, folks, is
1: art thrives in a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And, and it um,
0: but but yeah, you know the the thing is is that if you want to see like what uh, what Asian cinema, what the Asian continent can give you when you give like. 200 million to a budget you get the stuff that that that's being made in the mainland and the hong kong cinema market but if you want to see like real real interesting maybe even innovative storytelling by far you, you got to go to south korea and yep. to a lesser extent uh, japan um and again i think that's why uh hirokazu koreida decided to shoot broker and make it take place in korea uh, and hey again that's for a myriad of reasons we don't have to get into as a mm-hmm. japanese filmmaker you know that that just had to be hard to kind of do that balancing act of like tell telling your tell, telling your investors that hey uh, i want to bring in korean investors or or just telling your japanese investors hey this is going to take place in korea with with korean actors and there's nothing you can say about it mm-hmm. uh
1: but yeah, broker. Um, how about see? Also, the North Kore- Also, the North Korean cinema market is incredible. Is it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I was, like, that, I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm about to learn
0: something today.
1: No, well, you know, you actually, you know that there actually there's a movie about this where Kim Jong Il abducted two South Korean directors, uh, a couple. Yeah, and he yeah, made yeah. make movies for them for like, one of them years. made
0: like a. Like a a, a Gaju movie, I think.
1: So here's the crazy... There's actually a few great documentaries on this, but basically they made like seven movies with him or in North Korea. And like... They were getting very popular in North Korea. Like Kim Jong, there's a recording where Kim Jong Il secretly admits he's happy he doesn't have to make his citizens, like force his citizens to go see them anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they were really helping it. In one case, the directors just decided let's remake a movie we didn't like how it turned out in South Korea, so we're going to re- remake it in the North. Mm-hmm. But the last thing they made was a ridiculous kaiju movie, just absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they used that and made a deal with the Cannes Film Festival. Festival to basically, the Cannes Film Festival agreed to accept it so that they could then go over there and then they could basically say goodbye to, to North Korea and they literally ran and I mean literally ran to the American uh, embassy. <clears throat> you know uh, that's that's
0: that's wow. Yeah, yeah. That that. Folks, I, look I, it up; it's crazy. There's a great Cracked article about it for those that remember Cracked. Cracked. And you know, com. South
1: Korea didn't want them back for a while because they thought they defected, and oh, they that were convinced. Sucks. They were a lot of South Koreans were convinced that because that basically uh, Kim Jong Il told them. Look, if you want to go back to my work camps, you can, or you can say you thought you'd come over here with more artistic expression with more freedom of artistic expression. <laughs> so, which dear Lord, when you're faced with that kind of a choice, so basically famously, the um they went they moved to America because in South Korea, they basically weren't having them, and unfortunately, the husband died before he was able to ever go back. and when the wife went back, she was they. Cause she was also a very famous star over there. Uh-huh. She was not well received. It was very sad. Um, and it's, I, I know there's been a bunch of documentaries. They've been trying to do a movie about it for a while. I hope they do at some point because it is an incredible story. Anyways. Yeah. So
0: saying. broker, um, we already kind of talked about uh, how much we loved shoplifters when it came out back in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw shoplifters, I was like, Oh Yes asian or japanese cinema is back i love Mm -hmm. it you know and listen i have a i have a big soft spot for the anime film industry in uh Mm -hmm. in japan but i kind of miss seeing like really well done live action stuff like like i i love seeing that japan was like hey korea korea is kind of stepping up and we need to step up too Mm -hmm. uh but anyway uh so the rest of the cast besides song kang ho oh actually right before that right before I list off the rest of the cast yeah. uh, see you kind of mentioned it already uh, So how about this is how I'm gonna phrase this opening question
1: yeah
0: song kang ho what is it about about him as an actor as a performer that makes you keep coming back to his movies you know so or or, he, or, yeah. or is he like a non element to your decision to watch? the Korean films that he's in? Like you're like, Oh, I, I I'm seeing this cause it's a Park Chang-wook movie. It's a Bong jung ho movie. Or do you, or do you go like Song Kang-ho? I love him. I, I want to see him in more stuff.
1: So I, I, I will say with most of the Korean cinema, and actually I should say with a lot, there's exception, but with a lot of Asian cinema throughout, I typically base it on either director or if it's an older film that I should have seen already. Because there's just so much... It's a whole world out there. So you have to start with what is agreed as the the auteurs of that world, so to speak. Or of that culture, rather. So I admit fully that that's how I go about it. Because otherwise, I think I'd be sifting through so many great performances that it would get exhausting. That being said, um, i have really grown to appreciate his ability in acting. Um Now, I will, because, okay, I am still convinced his best performances are in Bang Joon-ho movies so far, just because he, he's very good at playing what some might call a loser, what some might call that. But what you realize is he has this innate ability to not just redeem whatever, to not just just give a redeeming performance but he also he he does something incredibly unique and that is when he performs the redeeming act or various redeeming acts to make him better he's able to give off this incredible moment in in every performance that I've seen where he's shocked that he just did that like he doesn't believe it and that's so incredibly human like because some of the things he's pulled off in his various movies are truly shocking, so he, anyone would be surprised by that. But he doesn't like do a whole big song and dance about how he's surprised. You just see it in his face. He's like, "Oh my God, I did this, and it's so great." But within that, he's he plays such great pieces of shit at times that you just revel, and and he revels in what he's doing too. Like I really take it as a good example. His character in. Um, the host, because if you look at it, he is this, you know, he is so good throughout the whole movie, playing just this deadbeat father, basically living in the snack stand in South Korea, in Korea, um, you know, with his father. um, And He's just so good at playing this lazy mofo who doesn't care. But then this huge calamitous act happens and he decides he has to get it into gear. But what I love is the movie reminds us that he's not just going to suddenly be good at doing the right thing. He hasn't done it. So he's really bad at it for a while until at the very end he, you know, in the movie he gets everybody together, his whole family together. And then they... Solve the problem. I'm being vague in what the problem is because you gotta see it. Although the poster will tell you pretty quickly. But he's just very good at playing completely unaware, um, bad people who you belie- who you genuinely believe the redemption. And that is so rare. So whenever, here's what happens. Whenever I see him in a Korean movie, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Like no matter what, he always seems to be good at picking the movie and he always plays it well.
0: Yeah. So like I said before, my first Korean film was The Good and the Bad and the Weird. And this was like when Netflix was just starting out as a streamer. So they had a ton of foreign films that were like, weirdly obscure Mm -hmm. because I guess those were the cheapest to get the rights to. Mm. And, um, like I said before, he's made a bunch of movies with the big three South Korean directors that a lot of Western audiences know. And like, I don't know if, if, uh, see, did you ever watch the other two vengeance movies by Park Chang? No, I
1: didn't. All right. So
0: old boys, the second one, Mm -hmm. the first one is actually called symphony for Mr. Vengeance. And, uh, Song Kang Ho plays Mr. Vengeance, mm-hmm. uh, and that was kind of, that was kind of his first like, like because up until then, like all his movies, he was kind of like like you said like kind of the clueless buffoon in like various forms of comedy. Uh, the first film he did with uh, Kim Ji Woon was called The Quiet Family, which is a bit of a horror comedy and then he did the foul king where he plays a wrestler also directed by Kim Ji-woon but sympathy for mr vengeance was really his first like big like fully dramatic role that you know wasn't there was no laughs to it and then the and then a year later he makes memories of a murder memories of murder with a Bong Bong, jo, Bong ho and that's kind of the mix of of the silliness that he was doing with the kim ji woo movies and the seriousness he showed in sympathy for mr vengeance and, you know, I basically went like good to bad the weird, where I was like, oh, this guy's kind of, this guy's really silly and funny, but I like him. And then I saw Old Boy, and then I saw somebody from Mr. Vengeance, like, hey, it's that guy. And I thought, wow, he's really serious. Wow, he's really good. And then I saw Memories of Murder, and then I saw The Host. And again, the thing that I kept noticing is that, like, Park Chang wants. S- uh sang Kong Ho to be really serious and he's great at it. <laughs> Kim Chi Woon wants him to be very silly, which again he's really, really good at. In fact, they didn't do a serious movie until like 2016 with a film called The Age of Shadows. Or no, no, not The Age of Shadows, uh, The Throne. That was the, that was the first time those two made a serious movie together. And again, like Bong Joon ho is like, I want him I want him to be silly, but I also want him to be serious. And then here with here uh, Kazu Koreda with Broker. He's he's not being a clown. But
1: he's not like super super serious. He's he's like, he you know what he is, he's the characters from those earlier movies who learned the lesson and we're seeing afterwards.
0: Yes, that that is a great way to put it. See, that is a very very good way to put it. And uh, let's let's talk about the rest of the cast. Uh, we have, as the second lead, uh, the friend of uh, Song Kang Ho's character, Dong Soo, played by Dong Won Gang, who he's he's a bit of a newcomer. Uh, he was the lead in the follow up to Train to Busan called Peninsula. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. I did not. Well, yeah, a lot of crazy things were happening in twenty twenty, so I don't blame you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just a
0: few. Um, and then, kind of. Not the villain, but definitely in kind of the antagonist role, we have Beiduna. And for those that don't know, Beiduna was the uh, was the Korean character in Cloud Atlas. That's
1: right. She's Which also in Symphony for Mr. It's Vengeance,
0: but yes, but, but Cloud I didn't know Atlas. That
1: you point. Sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know that at all until you pointed it out to me, and I'm like, oh, okay.
0: She was also in the host. Who no, uh, was she in
1: that? Uh, I believe she
0: was the sister.
1: Oh, the, the Archer. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, she was, okay.
0: she, yeah, you didn't remember that?
1: No, I remember the character, but she I didn't has
0: a, she, that. she has a very, like, she has a very, to me, she has a very unique face. Hmm. So like, I can always tell her like, oh yeah. Cause her profile is very unique to me.
1: It is unique. I just, I didn't realize that was her. That's incredible. Wow.
0: Yeah, so she's worked she's worked with the she's worked with the the big leagues in in Korea. Um but you know like Cloud Atlas is where I kind of cuz you know I, I saw the host but and it's a fine movie but I wouldn't say it's my favorite of Bong Joon-ho's movies. Uh but when I saw her in Cloud Atlas like oh see you remember I saw that in college and I think like when you asked me about it, I was raving for it for like two hours,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and you
0: were like, "Okay, okay, I get it, I get it."
1: No, I remember, but I think looking back, can you at least agree that had you read the book already? Uh, I've read. I read the book like two years later. Oh, Okay, so you read it afterwards. Okay, yeah. So just, never mind then. But uh, and
0: then we have as as kind of the the young mother of the of the story, June Lee who it appears that she's mostly known as a singer, as a K-pop singer, which uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, I remember when I first saw the trailer for Broker, I was like, man, that mother character, she she is very attractive. Like, like K-pop star level attractive. And then mm-hmm. I come to find out that she's like one of the biggest K-pop stars in Korea, which I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And uh, finally, we have... Uh, Lee Joon-yong, who plays kind of the sidekick of Bay of Bae Dona's character. Uh not much, I mean it's it's not a sizable role but it's it's a it's a it's a role that has importance to the plot. So, uh see, how's about we watch
1: the trailer and then give our reviews. Now for those listening, I do apologize. This is going to be the first trailer where because you're not looking at it, you're really not gonna know what's going on. But yeah. let's watch it. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. so I'm to the 쪽도 잡아 버렸으니까. 응. 보육 시설에서 고아로 구는 것보다 아무래도 따뜻한 가정에서 자라는 편이. 병이...
0: 그냥 부러커잖아. 언제인데 출발이.
1: 선아 씨 출발 출발.
0: 아기 보시. 이게, 이게 사진보다 좀 넓이용. 온... 장난하는 것도 아니고 진짜 니들 같은 인간들한테 절대 못 줘.
1: 그래 여기 있는 애들 모두 한 번은 어? 나 아저씨 아들하면 안 돼? 아것 같아. 나다 알아. 가족 아닌 거.
0: 완전 거짓말쟁이들이구만. 어? <웃음> 넌 그러면
1: 내가 키워도 되고. 아, 그러면 나는 계속 부정만 당한 인생이네. 그렇게 다시 시작할 수 있으면 좋겠다. 그러니까 우리 앞으로 까먹지 말자. 나 혼자 있으면 아무것도 못했을 거야. 굳이 뭐 혼자 다할 필요는 없어. So, that is Broker. Now, the trailer itself pretty much summarizes what the movie's about, which is these, these people who kind of run this laundromat, uh, they, they kind of launder... Children, in a, in a, but wait, stop. No, no, no.
0: They're human not. traffickers.
1: They're, they are kind of human traffickers. Kind but of. The, but in the best way. No, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Christ. No, I'm saying all the wrong things. Okay. Here's the basic thing you need to know. And I think they, so basically many countries, Korea is one of them, have a system where there are various places where if you as a mother or parent truly are not able to take care of your baby you can drop it off at a hospital or um in America it's any of those places with a sign that say a safe place right isn't that Um, what that is in in
0: the movie uh the uh the mother character drops off the baby at a
1: church Uh, oh that was a church oh yes it was you're right but so yeah she drops it off there but there's different places throughout in Korea that you can drop it off and churches usually take the kids in. So, they it's about a mother who drops her baby off cuz she can't take care of it. And instead of letting the baby be ba- baby be put through what would the equivalent be of the foster care system, um they decide to take the baby, these um, laundry
0: mat guys.
1: Yeah, these laundry mat guys and they've done this before. And try to sell the baby to loving parents. Uh, and their justification for it is that the 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 foster system is so screwed up, which, in let's be clear, in almost every country, no matter how great it is, and I, I say that living in a, a, a truly great country, the foster system is screwed up. Like, there's no way around it. It's just, it, it, it can be messed up. There's just so much room for abuse, and this is no different. So, the... They decide to broker the baby around and the mother gets involved again because at one point she tries to take the child back and it's not there. So the rest of the movie is this sort of road trip movie about them going to different possible families and seeing who they like and who they're willing to give. But there is another element to this story and I will let Al talk about that. So the the subplot of the the main subplot of the
0: film is that unbeknownst to the mother character or the two or the two laundromat uh, characters is that they are this pair of policewomen played by uh, Bay Dona as the sergeant and then uh, Lee Jun Ju Young as kind of the uh, the subordinate detective. Uh, they're pretty much on a state. They pretty much catch. Uh, catch one of them take the baby from the church and they bring upon themselves to wait until they catch the, this trio actually selling the baby to arrest them. So for that to happen, they basically follow them around as they're taking this road trip. And these, all five of these characters kind of intersect with each other as, as the story goes on. Mm. Um. So yeah, uh, you guys can see it because of the audio, uh, obviously, but there's a, there's a little blurb on on the trailer that says a movie about chosen families and i think that's that's kind of the best way you can describe this movie uh it's a it's a compassionate look over the various messed up corners of of korean society that lead to the the selling of a child <laughs> you yeah. know
1: i also want to point out and we'll get into this a little bit later but as far as the director concerned is concerned, I'm seeing a theme here, but we'll get to that as well.
0: Um, so yeah, I, I think we can get to that now. See, sure. uh, so right right before I hand it off to you, uh, I think like for people, people should know that Correia, at least in the two films I've seen of his, he's not particularly interested in telling a morality tale about good versus evil, even when it's about situations where there's clearly a moral there, there's clearly a moral position to be had in this case you know but
1: he find, he's all about the moral gray but he he sees it in the best light that's what's interesting um i i was going to say that he he presents
0: you know these situations where there's a clear good choice and a bad choice right But the people who are making the bad choices—he—he's very compassionate over showing how human they are. Something that uh, we talked about when we were reviewing uh, Darren Aronofsky's *The Whale* or just Darren Aronofsky in general is that while he—he has a very clear, his films have a clear moral position, they—they still are interested in in kind of depicting the people who might have deviated from that moral position with some sort of understanding and compassion. And here in *Broker*, it's no different. Uh, Song Kang-ho and Dong Wong gang play human traffickers and the film doesn't try to dissuade you from seeing them as anything but such. Uh, But then you kind of see why they're doing what they're doing. And and, and you, you still don't agree with the idea of selling a baby to strangers, but you're like, Oh, uh, uh, Song Kang-ho's character, you know, needs the money and Dong Wong Gang's character was traumatized over being and how he perceives as abandoned so you're like okay we understand why you guys decided to go into this horrible horrible business and that at the very least they try to do right by the children they're trafficking uh, and then you have Ji Young Lee who plays the mother who abandoned her child and you come to learn why she did what she did why she's in the position that she's in and Why, like, in her own way, she's trying to find redemption, and you come to appreciate it. Uh, So, and obviously, ironically enough, the only one who could be considered the, quote-unquote, the antagonist of this story, they have a very clear moral position. Uh, That would be Badona's sergeant character. Uh, But she still has her flaws, you know, in the way that she's kind of unflinching over, like, oh, these people are doing this, ergo they're bad, ergo I must do everything in my power to make them suffer in a way. Uh, but then we come to see her growing and her kind of her perspective kind of shifting. And it makes for me, at least a much more rich, enriching viewing experience. I don't know. See, what do you think? So
1: for me, it actually took me a very long time to get on board with this, with the B plot or the side story because it just for a while. I didn't mind the two cops following them; that was fine. But the investigation that was going on, which spoiler, a little bit of spoiler, there is a there is an investigation. There is a larger criminal element that is being investigated in this movie. And these, yeah, and and we say that
0: like in the in the most lightest way possible. Like it's a part of the movie. But even the movie itself kind of drops the subject like a third of the way in.
1: But it keeps that alive, I felt, with these two cops. Like that's how it keeps you yeah, 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 of it. Yeah. So you have this whole bit. And I just had a lot of trouble for a while getting fully on board with the with the full side plot, including the cops in a way. Because I'm just like, it, at times it felt like whenever I saw them, the plot just felt like it was being interrupted. Like, it was, oh, we stop everything and do this. Time almost stops, and here they are. Like, we have to watch them talk about the morality of what's happening and trying to figure out how they're going to catch the brokers. Um, So, initially, I wasn't annoyed, but I was sort of... I, I was trying to let those scenes pass by. But what I realized is... Those characters were very necessary because without them, this story becomes either a much darker or be much more unbelievable with how much they're kind of able to get away with, you in know, in certain ways. Also,
0: it just, it, it, so this film is, this film has, obviously it has a narrative. We just kind of described it to you, but make no mistake. Correda seems to be the one who kind of likes making character pieces versus telling a, a plot driven story. And this B plot of the of the cops is very necessary in order to kind of go from and I hesitate to say aimless, but a very free flowing road trip movie where it could it could feasibly go on forever and ever and ever and not really have a satisfying ending and then kind of and then kind of rope it back into a narrative where there has to be a resolution.
1: Does is what I'm saying making sense? No, it is. It is making sense, and I I agree with it. It was just I felt like for a while that part of the story was put in there because the writer slash director felt like he had to, and I then agree. I realized I agree. I, but I think he then figured out how to tie it in. But there was just this awkwardness about it for a while. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah,
0: it, almost yeah. Almost like you're almost like you think, is he doing this because he feels like he has to include this, this, an element to this story, or was it like a prerequisite in order to get funding? Because you know, let, let's be real here. when you know, outside of the United States, most countries have a have a film industry that's very dependent on funding from the state itself and Korea is no exception to this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's be real here, you know, Korea is still by and large a pretty conservative country where I I can't imagine especially a, a foreign director coming up to the the Korean film board and saying, "I want to make a movie about human traffickers" and them not saying, "Well, you better include cops who are chasing after them." But I at the end of the movie, I didn't think that was the case. I thought, okay, I see why he has this element in this movie. Because he, he wants to kind of tie it all up in a bow. But but then again, yeah, see, I totally agree with you. The first third of this movie, I kept thinking, why are we following these cops? Was this like something that was required? I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, But no, I, I I felt the same way you did. Um, let me ask you this. A character, so for me... Um, this is a performance. These this is a film that's driven by its performances, not necessarily by its plot, but by its performances. It's, it's a character piece. It's a character study.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And listen, Song Kang Ho obviously is doing great work here. I mean, for God's sake, he wanted a Caesar over it. Um, mm-hmm. Bay Donna is doing really good work as the sergeant. But I'll be real here, guys. The MVP, at least acting wise, well, maybe not acting wise, but just their presence. Was an a char- an actor or character I intentionally left out, which is the the child character, yeah. Hey Jin, played by Seong So Im. He was a joy to watch on screen.
1: It's it's another Korean film where the kid steals the steals the show. Right? Because, well, I mean, for Jesus Christ, Minari, dear Lord. Well, the kid and the grandmother stole the show. But anyways, yeah. that. No, yeah, like my favorite scenes were with that kid. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is perfect. The, so the the kid basically they make a pit stop to
0: uh, one of the laundry mat guys, his old his old orphanage, and when they're leaving, they pick up a stowaway in the form of this kid, and he pretty much is like, I know exactly what you guys are doing, and I'm gonna blackmail you into having me tag
1: along because yeah. you know I want a family of my own. Yeah, which and it's his moments. There are other great moments, but his moments are incredible because he is both funny. He both gives off these really funny moments and then funny moments that are also sad. Like he literally walks up to the lead broker and goes, "Are can you be my dad? But he says it like in this like almost not a sad like he goes up with big Joey eyes and says in a sad way. He's almost like it's almost like he's going to pick out a toy. And he goes up to the guys like, can you be my dad? and it's just really sad and funny you know you know how hard it is and listen
0: folks if you've seen films with 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 child actors you know the biggest hurdle to overcome well let me put it this way writers in Hollywood have a problem where for some reason they always want the kids to come off as precocious so they write these lines of dialogue that for most child actors again this is They've not been doing this for long mm-hmm. or se- they've not been doing this seriously for long. No. So they say the line and let's be real they come off as like these asshole kids, these annoying kids. We see this time and time again in a ton of movies. Yeah. Th- this is a problem I have with Netflix movies is that if if there's a if there's like a kid character in there, I'm like this kid's going to be really annoying and sure enough it is.
1: Mm-hmm. But uh
0: uh Hirokazu Koreda he writes the character of Hey Jin in like a very like, like he writes it as someone who like, I don't know if he's a dad or not. Someone who's been around kids mm-hmm. and knows how kids actually talk. Yeah. This was a kid who never came off as like, he's way smarter than he should be. Or, or, or he's, he's way tougher than he should be. This you think comes they off- let the You think they let the kid improv? Cause sometimes people do that. Their directors do that. I, I thought so. I thought so. Cause the kid was doing such true to life kid things. Like, Like I have family who's that age and I'm like, yeah, they would say something like that. They would do something like that. You know, the, the big thing is, and the big thing kids, people don't realize is that kids they're so in their own world that you could be having, it could be a serious moment and the kid is totally oblivious to the seriousness of the moment and just says something that is totally out there that, that kind of, breaks the moment and makes you laugh because you're like oh gosh that kid said something so silly that it's it's kind of cute a ton of kids do this and this is what this this child actor saying so im brings to the character like he i'm not saying he's a comedic relief but he brings this childlike levity to the to the picture that is very needed because again we're this is a movie about ostensibly human traffickers Mm -hmm. uh but yeah he he was my mvp
1: He, he is the MVP. He's very, very good. I would say, yeah, no, I agree. He really, the child was the MVP. His scenes with Song Kang-ho, like they
0: have some scenes towards towards kind of the beginning of the third act where you're like, wow, this this lead character, he's really good with kids. And it informs one of his last scenes he has where you finally realize, oh, this is what this guy's deal is. And I I truly think that those final, I I have my issues with the, with how this film wraps up, but one of the things I will say, it it, it did become a lot stronger just because I had the context of like, oh, this guy's really good with this kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then it was like, while I had my complaints, I, I could at least say, I got more out of this scene because we had a scene with him with this other kid that was very necessary in order for me to really understand who this character was. Uh, by character, I mean the lead, Song Kang Ho's character.
1: Mm-hmm. So speaking of which, if we can just get into that for a moment, the the because we enjoyed this film, but we did there were issues. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, there were issues. And I think I we mentioned one of them already: how the side plot felt a little fo- felt pretty forced, or like as if it was required in some way. There was there there, there are a force. couple of characters
0: of the side plot that disappear before even the second act begins.
1: Yeah, I, that's very true, but I think the the weaknesses of this film really come out, and and this is what makes me a little sad. They really come out in the third act. Now, to be more specific, they come out in the second half of the third act. I would even oh, say, yeah, yeah. Like the it, the movie works and is working, and I should be clear, it has a it has a it. It has a solid ending. Like, it's not like... I'm not saying that the ending... That the way they end this movie ruins it. No. The ending works. The ending makes sense. It's not out of left field. But the movie...
0: Uh, Some things are out of left field in the ending.
1: Well... There's one big thing that's out of left field. There's one thing, but then didn't we look up a cultural thing and some of the laws, and it's less out of field for Koreans yeah
0: that's true yeah so
1: i think that's part. but no for, for an america for a western viewer yes it would be extremely out of left field but i guarantee you for any korean viewers that's it's more i'm gonna guess that part was not seen as strange mm-hmm. but it, it was strange though but basically there's a moment in the third act where you think the movie ends and then it Feels like it goes on for another 40 minutes. Now, I don't actually think it went on for another 40 minutes, but the the movie's tying up loose ends that we didn't need tied up, basically.
0: Well, and this is kind of the disagreement we had because I did feel like those loose ends needed to be tied up. I just thought they were tying them up too fast, right? Like like the 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 halfway we get to the halfway point of the third act. And then I and was it like, f-
1: to be clear, as I said, do you at least agree? It doesn't feel like the halfway point.
0: No, no, it doesn't. It feels like okay. I guess the movie's gonna end, and I'm gonna have questions. And then the movie proceeds to be like, oh, we're gonna answer your questions. But it's like, okay, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I, y- y- you're going okay. So the reason I have this complaint is that up until the midway point of the third act, this film has a very, very, very not slow paced, but a very methodical pace right? Like very, a road trip. Yeah. It's a road trip movie. So it's very methodical in, in like where they stop, how they interact with other characters, what they do in, in the car, what they do in the hotel. It's very methodical. I'm not saying the movie's slow. It's not slow. No. But you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it lets scenes breathe. I think mm. that's the best way to put it. Yes. It lets that's scenes an ex- breathe. That is an excellent way of putting it. Yeah. It lets scenes breathe. Like you're like, even though it's a horrible subject matter, it's, chill you know it's chill
1: <laughs> it is no it is. it
0: is and then we get to the halfway point of the third act where you would think okay this movie's going to end here and there's these questions that don't really need to be answered or we don't think need to be answered and you know i we leave it to the viewer which you know a lot of films do especially films that have this type of methodical pacing it always seems like the the how you perceive how the narrative goes also gives you an idea of how much the narrative is going to answer in regards to the characters in the story. And then it decides to go, okay, then this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And, this happens. and to be, to be fair to see, it is a good nonce. It is a good 15 minutes of that where you're like, Oh, okay. Now, now? Oh, now? now, no, no, Keep no, no, okay, not, okay. Now. Keep not going. now. Right. Yeah. But my problem was that I didn't mind those extra 15 minutes. I just minded that it was like, okay, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and, and prologue. And I'm like, okay. I... Like... Okay. I see. I think you would agree mm-hmm. that films don't need to be three hours. They don't. Not anymore. Not anymore. There's, there's streaming and television for that. But if your film is going to have a certain pace, you're kind of obligated to keep that pace right in -hmm. order, in order for the viewer to feel like the experience was the same from the first shot to the last shot that the experience or not the same, but that it stayed consistent, Mm -hmm. right? Like movies that start off slow and then out of nowhere, just ramp it up so fast up until the ending an audience member is going to see that and was going to be like, Whoa, that felt off. That story felt, I, I I, feel like something went wrong, halfway through, or if a movie starts out really fast and then just kind of stops, that's when an audience member starts looking, they're watching like, is this going to end anytime soon? And that's why if, if you're going to tell a, cer- a story and you're going to tell it at a certain pace, you kind of want to keep that pace consistent, you know, you, if you're letting your scenes breathe, you got to let them breathe all the way through. You can't just let them breathe and then out of nowhere decide, okay, we we need to wrap this up. So we got to go really, really fast. And in the end, you're like, I, I feel like it just went and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And it makes for a bit of an unsatisfying experience. Now, the, I and see, I totally agree with you that, you know, that that's just a lot to... Like for you, I guess, it was that they were putting so much of that that you just felt like
1: you experienced like 30 minutes. And maybe that is what it is. It's just it was it was so it's like, okay, now this happened this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and I'm like, what? Okay, what really? All right? because again,
0: the, the film has a very particular very specific pacing, very specific, it's making you perceive its timeline in a very specific way and the movie kind way. of says screw th- screws that at the end it goes like oh shit we're running out of time we got to go yeah because and 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 i don't know what you would think it's a flaw of i think it's a flaw of writing that you know again if you're doing a character piece but you still need to drop narrative elements plot elements in order to progress the story so that the characters keep growing what you don't do is make it kind of aimless for the first two thirds of it and then in the last quarter you drop in all the big
1: plot stuff. I honestly think what happened is he tr- the the director once he the ending so the 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 ending that's not the ending happens. So this is
0: a 2 hour and 10 minute movie by the way.
1: Yes, and let me be honest it, it feels longer, but that's that, for the most part that wasn't a bad thing. I don't mind if movies feel longer or shorter than they are if it works. I know I often complain about a movie dragging out or being long or being slow. I know myself on the podcast. But if a movie is long and it works, I am totally for that. Lawrence of Arabia is an incredibly long movie, and it's one of my favorite movies. So I get it. But what I'm saying is, with this, he when, when, when you think the movie's going to end, I think for the director, he got what he wanted, whether in, in writing and in directing. He's like, okay, good. I got that. And it's not that he didn't care, but he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, let me answer these other things. Let me just do what I need to do to wrap this up. I, I think he just was like, because it was seen, you can kind of see it was it was viewed as less important for him. So because of that, he just went through it at a pace that thought was, he, he, he went through it at the pace that he was also interested in it, if that makes sense. So he's yeah. like, oh, let me just do this. And he did it. And and here's the thing the of those little vignette scenes at the end where it's just like going through showing like what's happening like before the epilogue you can tell which of those he cared about more because there was one that was significantly longer than the others
0: yeah yeah um for me i think what it is is that either uh, i i don't know if the thing was was that like when he when he turned in the draft to the producers and like this is what I want to make, they said, Well, you you kinda need to answer these questions if you want to get funding. And he just wrote like ten extra pages mm-hmm. and there and these lawyers like, We'll just shoot these really fast. Or he had a significantly longer cut of the movie. Cause this is how I feel. I feel like those last fifteen minutes should have been thirty five. Um because again But the- you
1: can see any producer <laughs> saying no.
0: No, no, we got to wrap this up in under, under two hours and 10 minutes. Either, and the compromise... Either cut, was, and he didn't
1: cut the driving scenes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they said, two hours. He's like, let's do two hours and 30. Two hours. Two hours and 15? Two hours. Two hours and 10? Fine. And yeah. that's what they did. And you really do feel it. And it's, it's a very jarring experience because, I don't know, See, when was the last time we saw a movie where it had a very specific pace? And then just those last 15 minutes just ran by. Like, I can't I remember know. the last time I've seen a movie like that.
1: I don't know. And this isn't the first road trip Korean movie we've seen. so That's true. There you go. Uh, and that movie was really fucking long. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That movie, my God. Well, we, we, didn't we talk about it in our premiere episode a little bit or no? Uh, I don't think so. For the I record, can't. folks, the movie is Drive My Car. That movie is nearly three and a half hours long. And it's also Japanese. Oh, Jesus. It's Japanese. <laughs> but what's amazing about that movie is it de- it dares you to defy its pace. No, <laughs> it but, but, but listen, you.
0: I give Drive My Car credit. That movie never once decided to speed up the pace. It's for like, better or worse. For better or worse. It's like, no, this is how, this is how it's going to be. Uh, this Just is chill how- up with it. Yeah, that's literally what it is. And <laughs> well, yeah. th- the funny thing was, was that, like, as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking, you know, I feel like broker is a much smarter way to present something that driving my car was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm digging this. I'm digging. I'm digging the pacing. I'm digging... I'm digging the, the stories being told in each of these scenes. I'm digging the character work being done, you know, because here's the thing about Drive my car, make no mistake, that movie, that movie makes burning look like parasite in the sense of, in the sense, so in the sense of like drive. My car is all about, let's keep it still. Let's keep it subtle. Let's keep it minimalist.
1: The, oh, thing, first off, in Drive My Car... The only
0: action scene happens out of frame and literally literally the character walks out of frame and you're like, oh, where'd he go? And then later we found out he got into a big fight.
1: Last thing, the very only last thing I'll say about Drive My Car, you know that experiments where they took the waters and boiled them but very slowly over time? Yeah. The audience is the frogs. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> and that's not me saying the movie was terrible. What I'm saying is it's like it's an it's the definition of super slow burn. And when you re, when you walk out, you're like, oh my god, it's nighttime. It's like yeah. And and the thing
0: the thing that up until the up until the end, broker was it, kind of doing the same thing, but it, there was variety in the set. In, in the backdrop there was variety in the camera angles mm-hmm. like like the cinematography what's much more d- listen drive my car is like a super super clean slick commercial
1: mm-hmm.
0: right but it's literally a car commercial yeah but but yeah. broker you know broker had more dynamic shadows more dynamic color schemes you know there's there's like reds and greens in this instead of the blues and bays you see in drive my car you know,
1: like- you know what, I'm convinced for Broker, what he, um, where he took a lot of, because obviously he took inspiration from some American road trip movies. Yeah. Like, that is clear. But the one he really took inspiration from, because there are, there aren't, there are no shot for shot recreations, but I'm convinced, especially on the family element. He took some stuff from Little Miss Sunshine. Oh,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. That was the first thing that went through my mind. I was like, I'm getting a lot of Little Miss Sunshine vibes, except it's much more, you know, the subject matter is a bit dour, much, much more dour, let's be honest. And the the comedic moments are much more subdued.
1: No, yeah, but you can tell he watched that years ago and he's like, I like this movie. And I'm not saying he like directly then said, I want to make my version of that. No, I think he came up with his own idea. But you can tell that that movie, you can tell what movies inform directors and you can tell that was one of them. Exactly. Um, I,
0: I got to say, though, speaking of cinematography, Broker is gorgeous, it it's gorgeous, like it's as gorgeous. It I would say it's slicker
1: looking than than Shoplifters. Uh, I gotta, I actually gotta disagree. I think Shoplifters is a, this, I think the cinematography in Shoplifters is better for my money. But that being said, I, I think is cause, beautiful. I I think for
0: me, just the fact that you know road trip. So obviously, there's different type of camera, camera work being done because the, there's cars involved and stuff. I. And and then it, they do stuff with the rain that I think is just absolutely beautiful. So on a technical level, Broker is up there with all the most well-shot stuff that's been out this past year. It's just that again, it kind of weirdly got got derailed because the narrative decided to tighten up
1: mm-hmm. really
0: fast,
1: really sudden.
0: Yeah, really suddenly. And like for C, it was like it just made the it made him like he was going through. Res-
1: you know what it was? I when that happened. What I one thing I like to say is I re- I remembered I was in a theater, where yeah. it's like suddenly like oh I've been disconnected. It's like I'm out of it now. And when yeah. that happened, it disconnected me, and then things felt slower because I was disconnected.
0: So yeah, the the film like on a technical level is just as gorgeous as anything else we've seen this past year. Uh, make no mistake about that. Um, I, I personally think it looks slicker than than uh, than shoplifters, but obviously, see you disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the only issues I really have with this are, yeah, just that ending.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, was there anything else that kind of that you kind of were like, oh, this? So for me, it's two things: it's the ending and the 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 side B plot wasn't well attached to the rest of the oh, movie. Oh yeah, that, yeah yeah. So you have those two elements that. Again, I'm not saying this ruins the movie by any means. I enjoyed the movie thoroughly. But they are these noticeable things where I'm just like, huh. You know what it is? Those are the reasons this isn't on my top ten for the year. Or that why it won't be. Because I'm like, it, it, those took me out a little I, bit. Again, I'm a
0: sucker for Korean cinema. I am. I, I can't hide it. And I love Hirokazu Koreeda's films, Shoplifter's was a revelation to me when i saw it in 2018 so it this is a revelation might, it is amazing. this might make my top 10 list and i totally oh, remember
1: shoplifters was japanese because he's a japanese director yeah yeah yeah
0: but like 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 it might be on there just for the simple fact that uh just just the storytelling choices the subtlety and the performances like the the understanding that you don't have to do crazy flashy things to grab the attention of the audience and that when you do do it you do it in a very exact and specific way that's like a calling card which i think is why western audiences just absolutely adore bong jun ho
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so this might make it on there i'm 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 not going to be like no it's not cuz the ending bothered me that much and yeah the ending did bother me but uh, everything else was just great you know the, the there was never once where i was bored by a conversation you know, the mystique over what exactly was the situation with the mother. Like I I could figure it out. Like, like by the time the first act ended, I figured out like, okay, this is kind of what's going on. I just didn't figure out the full extent of it. And to be fair, the one thing I will say about the ending was that the way the movie sets it up is that you think they're going to, they're going to, it's going to be this type of ending where you're like, Oh, I guess, I guess there are no consequences. But no, there are consequences, even though you're like, OK, you could have let those scenes breathe, but I guess not. Uh, so see, how's about we give our, our final rating? What's what's your rating?
1: Um, I got to give this. This is a flush because it's, it's certainly very good. It's certainly it. When this movie hits, it hits. Yes, I have problems with it, but I'm not gonna. I don't. I won't allow those moments to ruin the movie for me. Yes, I fully admit that I I preferred his previous film, Shoplifters. Um, but the the, the story that's being told here is truly um, sad yet beautiful. But somehow. You know what? This is such a morally gray movie in the brightest sun that you can't not love it with great acting to boot. But I acknowledge the problems it has, so I cannot say this movie fucks. So this is a definite flush, folks. And if you actually I would say this. If you want to get into something if you want to get into Korean further delve into Korean cinema that's currently out that isn't a lot like parasite but you also don't want to go because I know some of the foreign some of Korean cinema has a bit of an odd reputation in some of their films. You want to go for something that's a little more what you little more western-ish but still very different from parasite this is a great movie to actually pick. But I give it a flush. I give it a flush, too.
0: Um, this was a fucks up until, yeah, the resolution. Then I was like, oh, wow, this this is just a bit too this is a bit too quick, not enough focus. And, like, it literally it goes like, okay, no more focus on the characters, focus
1: on the plot. And we're just going to have the plot resolve itself. And, again, if you are actually – I say – sorry, I apologize – if you are, West, I said how this is actually a good movie to get into if you're of a Western audience. There is a legal cultural element that happens, and it is confusing. I would just say Google the laws of Korea, and you will be surprised. Yeah, that, that's a good disclaimer to give. Um, yeah, it just, it's honest. It's like, that's yeah, a disclaimer yeah. you need. Yeah, uh, I,
0: I would say that the ending, it, it's just such a... Jolt from being a very, you know, moderately paced character piece to then just wrapping up the narrative and being so abrupt about how it wraps up. Like, what I mean by that is that we basically are told the character did this, the character did that. you're like, you don't even get to see how they're kind of reacting to their new situations. You're just told this and got to move on. We got to move on. And that's that's jarring, you know, and that that made for a bit of a confusing experience. That being said, I can't deny up until then, the character work was astounding. Uh, Song Kang Ho was giving again, like this is a guy who's made a really good soundtrack too. Oh, really good soundtrack. But this is a guy who it feels like every film he's giving career best work. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. there's the stuff that's been the best. Like, I still think Memories of Murder is his best performance straight up. I know a lot of people say that it's Parasite, but those people are wrong.
1: Well, also those people who have only seen
0: Parasite. (laughs) Exactly. Right. But it always seems like Song Kang Ho is always doing like very, because again, like you stated earlier, he does the kind of out of his element sort of buffoon with the heart of gold thing. And he does that really well. But it seems like later in his career, he's just been doing like these really subversive variations of that type of that character type. Mm-hmm. And this is no exception. In this one he's playing. He's playing a man who happy go lucky, but is in a very morbid business. And we slowly come to learn why. And I I, I think it's some uh, some really, really good work from him. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, uh, the other the other actor. uh his co-lead, uh, Dong Wang Gang, he's kind of new to the to the place. And, you know, he was a serviceable protagonist in Peninsula. And I'm interested to see, like, kind of what his range of characters are going to be. Bay Dona, again. Bay Dona, weirdly enough, has plays a very complex role. And she's always very, very believable in it. And I love that. And I love seeing her again on the big screen. Uh, Ji Yun Lee... Listen, I'm not a K-pop fan, so I don't know much about her. And, you know, she does really good work as the mother. If this is her first time acting, I'm interested to see what else she's going to do. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, in a bit of a weebish way, I don't mind seeing that face on the big screen. I'll be, I'll be frank. Sure.
1: But to be also clear, if you miss this in the big screen, because guys, this movie was not easy to see a big screen viewing of. If you miss it you're not losing anything yeah you're not losing anything if this this is that type of movie when you're like I want to see
0: you know when you're in that mood to see something a little bit elevated this is that movie to see when it's on Netflix or more likely Hulu yeah and uh, yeah that little kid song su im really good I, I hope he sticks yeah. with this because he's got a knack for it <laughs> yeah. but uh, I hope he stays a normal kid too that that because you can tell true. that's
1: what made him good
0: yeah yeah you're totally right you're totally totally right so yeah this has been our review of broker directed by hirokazu Mm koreida this has been what do you think i'm al i'm c later gators
1: bye good night everybody